Well, hello, church. I'm so pleased that you're with us today as we worship the Lord. And I hope you're continuing to stay safe. And so I have an announcement for you. As you know, we've been trying to reopen the church. And we've been unsuccessful because the school district has closed down the high school. We're still awaiting for when they will reopen it. But I've begun to discuss this situation with one of the local churches who's been very gracious towards us. And it's quite possible that a week from Sunday we will reopen in that church. I can't tell you more than that right now because it has still not been formally decided. But stay tuned. Keep an eye on your emails because that's our plan to reopen a week from this Sunday at 4 p.m. in this other location. And so pray about that, that God will give us wisdom. And we will get back to you as soon as possible on emails. Uh, now also, uh, you know that we announced last week that Mark McVeigh would become our new minister of music. I can't begin to tell you the reaction of the church to that. We have received probably 150 emails from people being so excited and recognize what this means. I mean, think about it. Here we have a man who did more than 3,000 performances in the lead role at Les Miserables as Jean Valjean, and he will be our new minister of music. That incredible talent, one of the most talented men of his generation, will be a part of our church as our minister of music. He has dedicated himself to building a choir, to building a supporting instrumentation around that, and to develop young people in music. He will speak at some of the local high schools. We're already working on that. And as he transitions down here, he has to sell his house. He still has a daughter in, as a senior in high school. But as he transitions down here in the beginning, he will be providing us with music videos that will support our service. And then he will uh, slowly become our full-time minister of music. Pray for that. Pray for him and his family. We are so excited about that, that we will have that level of talent in our church. And so today I'm going to speak on our last part three of our series on the Holy Spirit. And so let's go before the Lord and ask him to bless this message right now. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have protected our people. I thank you that you've kept us safe. And now, Lord, we ask you that you give us your message in your word through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to know everything that you have for us in this message, and we bow before your throne and ask you to enlighten us. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so here we are, week three on the Holy Spirit. We've really talked a lot about these issues, and so we know that the Holy Spirit would not come to this world until Jesus exited. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would lead you and lead us into all truth. So what does that mean? It really means that Jesus did not finish teaching all the truth about him and the gospel. He'd gone part way and, and indicated that he couldn't tell everything that he had uh, yet to give us because we were not in a position to understand it, but that shortly the Holy Spirit would finish that ministry and bring all truth back to us and tell us everything that we needed to know about him. And so as we reflect on this, we recognize how the, how the Holy Spirit works through us and speaks to us. And that is brought out really by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, where he said, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, 
but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And I want you to reflect on what this means. It means that you could be a very intelligent person, have a great intellect, have a great historical uh, understanding of the scripture, and get up and speak to people about the historical Jesus. But without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that message will fall flat. It will not reach the hearts of people. It will not touch their, their spirit. Why? Because it's not inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is only when we give our hearts over, when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and then we ask God to take charge of our lives and effectively our lips that the Holy Spirit will allow us to speak about Jesus in a powerful way and that those words will be spiritual words expressing spiritual truth. Now there's a new chapter as a result of the Holy Spirit between God and man. And Jesus reveals in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit would deliver effectively historical, doctrinal, and the prophetic revelation of God. And I want you to understand that. Historical, doctrinal, and the prophetic revelation of God. Well, let's begin as we unpack that with the historical revelation of God. And what does that mean? Well, it says in John 16, verse 13, that the Holy Spirit, and this is what Jesus said, will guide you into all truth. He will tell you what is yet to come. Effectively, he will remind you of everything I have said. And so this is the historic revelation of Christianity and Jesus Christ that separates us from every other religion. Only in Christianity is there effectively an historical tape recorder repeating the very words of Jesus that was said to the apostles and to the early church. That's what the role of the Holy Spirit was. That's why what we know and what we hear has been absolutely accurate and you can take it to the bank. It is the absolute inerrant word of God. It is not a myth. It is not a fable. It is not a supposition. It is not a guess. It is not, not anything like the other religions of the world in which there is no word-for-word -word recitation, rep rep repetition because of the Holy Spirit. In those other events, it's merely secondhand information, but not, not with Christianity. In Christianity, we have the very personage of the Holy Spirit being with men to take their pens and write down in remembrance the very words that Jesus said. And so that becomes important. Uh, look also at John 14, verse 26, and see there effectively what Jesus says, quote, he will take what is mine and make it known to you. He will take what is mine and make it known to you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He will take all of the understanding of who Jesus is and what he was supposed to do uh, both in this world and in the world to come, and he will make it known to you. And so clearly, we have this historical understanding of Jesus. We know that he existed. We know everything that he did. We know all about his messages. We know all about his miracles. We know that through, through the uh, Gospels. We know it through the Epistles. We know it through Revelation. And so we know historically accurate because effectively it was written by the Holy Spirit through the pen of men. But make no mistake about it, while it was the pen of men, it was the personage of the Holy Spirit who is writing this. 
Now, there's a doctrinal aspect of the Holy Spirit as well. And the doctrinal aspect of the Holy Spirit effectively is what is written in the New Testament in the Gospels, in the Epistles, in Romans, and in Revelation. And so what is that about? Well, the first thing that that, that reveals to us and we understand is that the Holy Spirit uh, through the writings in the New Testament uh, indicates that when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit embeds within us the fruit of the Spirit the very fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? It's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What were the characteristics of Jesus Christ that he had, that he exhibited in this world? Well, it was love, love on a level that we've never seen. Joy, unspeakable joy, even in the face of suffering. And peace, constantly to be at peace no matter what he suffered because he had an understanding of what was yet to come. Patience, patience even to be patient with humanity when they didn't even really understand him. Kindness, unspeakable kindness, even when people were evil towards him. Goodness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these characteristics are fruit of the Spirit, and all of them are given to you in their entirety through the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that some of you are saying, well, I don't understand it, John. I've been saved for years, and I suffer and don't have any of these characteristics. And I would say to you, well, you need to get closer to God. You need to pray. You need to ask him to exhibit his power through your life. You need to read the scriptures more and need to fellowship with other Christians. And when you do that and ask God to exhibit his power through you, through the influence of the Holy Spirit, you will begin to see this fruit get embedded in your life. It's there now, but we have suppressed it. So I want you to understand that. It is there. Now, what other doctrinal aspects uh, do we find revealed to us through the Holy Spirit? Well, the doctrinal aspects that we find are those things that were embedded in the Bible, but yet we did not understand them. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. The first thing is, why did Christ have to die? And you know the, the apostles wrestled with that. They didn't understand why their great leader, their great Messiah, why did he have to die? He was such a good man. He could have done such great things in this world. He could have done so many more miracles. Why did he have to die? It didn't make sense. And they were brokenhearted and sorrowful over it. Well, through the Holy Spirit, we understand the words of Jesus have great meaning to us. And, and so we see that Jesus said, I have to die. I have to leave here because in my place will come the Holy Spirit. And people didn't understand that. People didn't understand that Jesus had to die on the cross as our great sacrifice, the divine sacrifice of perfection once and for all on the cross. People didn't understand that. It's only afterwards, after Jesus was resurrected, that through the Holy Spirit, that became clear to us. Here's an example of that doctrinal aspect uh, of the Holy Spirit. Also, we understand through the Holy Spirit what it means to be the perfect sacrifice and to differentiate between the old covenant and the new covenant. That's important. And so the Holy Spirit has revealed that the old covenant, the curtain has come down. And now under the new covenant, there's no more animal sacrifice. Now it's a sacrifice once and for all for your perfect high priest for the rest of time and into eternity. He sits at the right hand of God. We know that through the Holy Spirit, that that has come home to us and convicted to us. We also know through the Holy Spirit what the essence of communion is. 
when Jesus gave his communion at the Last Supper. At the time, the apostles didn't understand it. They thought they were uh, effectively celebrating the Passover. But there would be no more Passovers. That was the last Passover. From now on, that communion would take place without any sacrifice of animals. And that would be something that we would do on a continual basis. And every time we did it, we would remember the death of Jesus and ask for our sins to be forgiven and effectively ask God to continue to include us on the body of Christ. That's what communion is, and that's what the Holy Spirit reminds us of. And then Jesus gave us the Beatitudes. And you know, at the time, the world didn't understand the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Blessed, you know, the meek shall inherit the, the earth. These words were meaningless. It didn't make sense because there was a new world order. And it's only afterward, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that those words have a power in us and make sense and touch our heart. And we understand that. That, again, is the essence of the Holy Spirit. When you understand the Beatitudes now, you understand it because the Holy Spirit has brought it home to you. How about the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, and the Sermon on the Mount is so great, so many great things in there. Uh, when Jesus speaks about salt and light, about loving your neighbor as yourself, the, our, our, the power of forgiveness. Uh, and, and we, frankly, read that as human beings, and many of those words fall flat. But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it begins to make sense and it touches our heart in a powerful way. And so all of this becomes important. All of these are, are doctrinal aspects of the Holy Spirit, the very doctrinal aspects of the New Testament, as the New Testament is all about Jesus Christ. Remember this, from Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible is all about Jesus Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that ties it all together and touches our hearts. So this becomes critically important. Now, there's also, as Jesus indicated, a prophetic revelation from the Holy Spirit. And this is important because there are many prophetic references in Scripture about what will come in this world, what God has planned. And you can look, for example, at Matthew 24, which is the Olivet Sermon, and Jesus doing the Sermon on Mount Olives. And in that, he will talk about the difficult days ahead. He will talk about the fact that the Antichrist will come, that they will be dark days. And when, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, and this is important because, again, at the time that he's speaking this, people didn't understand it. But it's only later when the Holy Spirit spoke to us and said to us, yes, remember, the abomination of desolation was spoken of by Daniel, and that refers to the time when the Antichrist comes and will come into the temple and effectively will have himself declared God. God, a pagan declaring himself God. You see, that's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And then Jesus in that same passage talked about the days of tribulation and then talked about the final return of Christ when Christ will come back after the tribulation is over and retake this world and we will all come with him. And he will set foot on the Mount of Olives just as he left on the Mount of Olives. And so you see all of this taking place as a, a revelation, doctrinal rev revelation from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and frankly, even the uh, prophecies of Daniel. Now, you know that Daniel was written about 650 years before Christ would be born. And God gave Daniel great 
prophetic vision. And Daniel wrote about it. And in, that, in the book of Daniel, it's a short series of chapters. But in there, Daniel speaks about the fact that he has a revelation of the Messiah. And he sees the Messiah. Uh, and then he talks about a time period when the Messiah would come. And he talks about 70 weeks of seven. 70 weeks of seven. I want you to understand something. This is written 650 years before Christ. Daniel understood it. Daniel was one of the wise men in Babylon. He had a, a coterie of wise men along with him. And you don't see any study of this aspect of the coming birth of Jesus anywhere else in the Old Testament until Jesus is born and finally is declared as the Messiah. Why is that? Well, if they had really had the Holy Spirit revealing them to them, they would have recognized that 70 weeks of seven meant a 400 and 49 years, all right, so 449 years, and that would have been declared from the time that the wall was rebuilt in Jerusalem, when Nehemiah went back to rebuild that. And so if you had made that calculation from that period of time, you would have come essentially to the time that Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Can you imagine? It was there all the time, but it wasn't really revealed to the hearts of men because the Holy Spirit did not yet appear and do that. And, and the Jewish people did not have the leadership that would have told them that. So it's important to understand that. And also in the book of Daniel at the same time, while the 70 weeks of seven speak of the coming of Jesus, there's one last week of seven that is not part of Jesus being declared the Messiah. That is the last seven weeks, the last seven years. And we know that that relates to the final tribulation and that's when the Antichrist will come in and take over this world and people will suffer. And Jesus referred to this on Mount Olives in the Olivet Sermon. And so it's all again tied together through the Holy Spirit. And it's the final return of Christ. And then we look at the Revelation, the book of Revelation, which speaks to us about the coming last days. Now, you can't just read the book of Revelation and understand it. It's done in many symbolic ways. In metaphorical language, you can't understand it, but through the Holy Spirit, you can. You don't need a degree in, in, in divinity. Through the Holy Spirit, it can be uh, brought home to you. Now, let me make another point as we understand effectively the prophetic power of the Holy Spirit. Think about all the references in the Old Testament about the third day, the third day, and it's over and over and over again. Great things happen on the third day. Important things happen on the third day. There is about 15 important third day references in scripture. And Jesus himself made reference to the fact that that temple itself would be torn down and he would rebuild it. God would rebuild it through Jesus in, on the third day. And they mocked him for that. They mocked him for that because they didn't have the understanding of the Holy Spirit that that third day language referred to all of those third days in Scripture. And what Jesus meant is that his own body would be torn down and killed. And on the third day, he would rise from the grave and effectively his body would be rebuilt forever and ever. That's the importance of the third day. And so that becomes important. And again, taught to us through the Holy Spirit. The words itself didn't make sense, but only later when the revelation of the Holy Spirit comes through do we understand what it's about. Now, other examples of this include Psalm 22. When David 
in a prophetic revelation, writes in language relating to effectively the death of the Messiah and writes about crucifixion and nails and about people at the bottom of this tree bargaining and taking various chances on the clothing of the decedent. And people didn't realize that that was written 1,000 years before Jesus would die on the cross. And yet it was only afterwards, afterwards, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that it became clear that this was speaking about Jesus. And you recognize this because you will see after the day of Pentecost, Peter and Paul speaking exclusively and intensively about these kinds of events. Who would have taught them that? They would have been taught that by the Holy Spirit. And that becomes so important. And here's another one to think about as you reflect on the power of the Holy Spirit. What about Isaiah 53 uh, and the language there about the suffering servant, effectively the language of the Messiah going to the cross without saying a word. And the language there says, he took our infirmities as his own and and effectively carried our sorrows. By his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah 53. Well, if you're just a human being reading those words, it doesn't make sense. And if you reflect back about the Ethiopian eunuch, you know that he read those words and he didn't understand them. And he turned to Philip the evangelist and said, I don't understand this. How can I understand it unless some man explains it to me? Well, you don't need a man to explain it to you. You need the Holy Spirit to explain it to you. Or effectively, the Holy Spirit to explain it to another man who then gives it to you. And the power of the Holy Spirit was so evident to the Ethiopian eunuch at that time that after he heard about it, he insisted that he be baptized. That is the power of the Holy Spirit, meaning when the words of God himself are conveyed to us with such power, we are convicted of our sin. And as we are convicted of our sin, we are drawn to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And this is how God works. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the teaching of the Holy Spirit is like the teaching of Jesus. Uh, It is nothing less than the very teaching of God, nothing less than the very words of God. And I say that why. First, A, the focus is entirely on Christ to complete the revelation of God in Christ. Let's understand something. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak about anything else but Jesus Christ. It's a single purpose focus. That's why he's here. And so everything that he says, everything that he does, it's all about Jesus. Second, his words and teaching are reflected in the entirety of the New Testament. And let's take a look at that, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. If you can open your Bible to that. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. He has spoken to us through his Son, and through his Son, through the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, the very words of Jesus come back to us, as if we heard them on a tape recorder. And further, the Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus, He doesn't elevate himself. He doesn't speak about himself, but he brings glory to Jesus. And what happens 
through this? What happens when these words, when these, all this impact of the Holy Spirit comes into our life? How does it change us? We'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Effectively, the Holy Spirit is, is reflecting the very Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit of God. So look at those words, how important it is. That here we are, as we've come into contact with Jesus, as we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, as we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, what is happening now? We are being transformed, meaning step by step. It doesn't take place all at once. We are being transformed, it says. It's an ongoing process, not over uh, all at once, but over a period of time. Transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. What does it mean? It means we're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, into the very character of Jesus with increasing glory, meaning our lives are showing the fruit of the Spirit. That's what the transformation is, that Jesus had these, these characteristics that he had that we spoke about, and that now, through the Holy Spirit sealing us, we have those characteristics within us, and they are slowly transforming us. As, as, and as they transform us, we reflect in ever-increasing ways the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the nature of what God's plan is for this world and for you. And so Jesus says that the Holy Spirit turns sorrow into joy. And let's read those verses. Let's take a look at John chapter 16, verses 16 to 22. In a little while, Jesus said, you will see me no more. Then after a little while, you will see me. Some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me? And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. And let's understand something. This is because the Holy Spirit did not descend upon them there then. Jesus was teaching them, but he didn't teach them everything because he knew that within their limited spiritual capacity, they wouldn't understand it. And so you see them being here, not understanding it. And, and frankly, when you study the scriptures, you see that for three years, mostly, the apostles really hardly ever understood Jesus. And yet Jesus had the patience to continue to teach them because he knew that when the Holy Spirit came, they would be utterly convicted and would change the world. Now look at verse 19 there. Jesus saw what they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to, to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into this world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice 
and no one will take away your joy. There it is. Jesus explaining how, as Christians, we will have the joy of the Lord forever. Yes, we will have periods of sorrow. Yes, we will face the death of our loved one. But now, through Jesus Christ and the understanding of the Holy Spirit, we know that he defeated death on the cross. And you know, if you go back and you study scripture, you see the evidence of this sorrowing in the face of the, the death of Jesus on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. And you know that story, that they're there and they're heartbroken. And Jesus comes in and says to them, why are you heartbroken? And they say to him, "What? where have you been? Everybody knows that our great leader who we thought possibly was the Messiah, but now he's dead. And Jesus said, oh, how foolish you are not to have understand everything that the prophets had written. And Jesus goes through the scripture and shows all the references about why he had to die, why he had to be sacrificed. I would love someday when I get to heaven to hear that message replayed because it probably was one of the greatest sermons of all time to hear God himself tie up everything in the scripture about himself and reveal it with such power that those disciples knew immediately that they were face to face with Jesus Christ. And so there it is. There it is, the understanding through the Holy Spirit that there would be a coming resurrection. The understanding through the Holy Spirit that what that resurrection means for you and me today, that there should be no sadness for us at a funeral, but rather a celebration of life because we know that our loved ones are with Jesus and we will be there shortly. A revelation through the Holy Spirit that the cross is not tragic, but rather triumphant. That there on the cross, death was defeated by the promise of God and that we are a part of that. Uh, and then our understanding through the Holy Spirit that we know our salvation is guaranteed forever. And I want to make sure I make this point well known to you because next week I'm going to start speaking to you about eternal security. But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit seals you, seals you, marks you as the property of God. God says no one shall take you out of his hand. And we know that through the Holy Spirit. And that means that you are saved forever. And that knowledge is secured to you by the Holy Spirit in your heart. And so you walk now in a triumphant Christian walk. You're not waiting for, for defeat. You're not waiting for death because you know that for you, you have life on the other side. You know that God has secured you and you know all of this through the Holy Spirit because we have the joy of Christ. That's what God has given us, the joy of Christ. So every single one of us should be walking joyfully with Jesus Christ through the knowledge of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit walks with us and seals with us and speaks to us the very words of God as he confirms all these doctrinal issues that I've talked about, we no longer fear death. Death has lost its sting for us. Listen, we mourn, but our mourning is short. It's short because we know that there is an eternal perspective and the Holy Spirit has sealed us and given us that knowledge. Look, the only way, the only way you can truly know Jesus Christ is through the Holy Spirit. And I want to repeat that. The only way you can truly know Jesus Christ is through the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you can have an intellectual knowledge. Uh, you can have a mental understanding. You may be a scholar and you may know the historical events of the life of Jesus, but you can't begin to understand the spiritual 
doctrinal essence of the life of Jesus Christ and what God has done with him unless the Holy Spirit is embedded in your heart. That is why we study the word. That is why we study the Bible. That is why we reach out to God and pray. We must have a personal interaction with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Only then can we truly understand the holiness of Christ. Only then can we truly understand what God did on the cross. Only then. And so part of turning our sorrow into joy is through the Holy Spirit opening up the scripture to us, uh, turning us away from carnal distractions. And, and I want you really to recognize that Philippians says, Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings because like him in his death, becoming like him in his death. What a powerful verse that is. Becoming like him in his death because I want to know him. I want to be a part of him. I want, to, I want to understand the nature and power of the resurrection. I want to understand and share what his suffering was like because through all of that, he is my Lord and Savior and I want to become just like him as he did in his death. Look also as you really recognize what the Holy Spirit is doing for us here in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press onward toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward to Christ Jesus. And that's how we have to live, to press onward for the, to the prize that which God has called us. An understanding that God has given his son for us. That God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. That he has attached us to the body of Christ in every possible way. And that every day of our life we need to be guided and lifted up by the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, the very fruit of the Spirit will take bloom in your life. You will become more and more like Jesus, like the very character of Jesus. And through the grace of God, you'll have a chance to minister to this world and change this world bit by bit for the glory of God. Let's close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to us that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and that as we've been sealed, Lord, he embeds himself in our heart. We ask you, Father, that the very fruit of the Spirit take bloom in our lives every moment of every day that we become more like Jesus in his glory and that we become transformed so the world can see us, can see the difference. Because the only way we can truly know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is through the Holy Spirit. Lord, bless our church, bless our people. Let this message resonate in our hearts throughout this week as we continue to study your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, church.